go to Genesis, if you will, chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Uh, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it was grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man, or the the word man there by the way is Adam in in the Hebrew. The Lord God formed Adam, or man, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man, or Adam, became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And uh, we'll just stop there for just a moment or so. Um, and I just want to point out a couple of things. That um, the first big act of the Bible is God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter 1. What is the second big act of the Bible? God built a garden. It's really weird. Um, it doesn't sound anywhere near as dramatic as creating the heavens and the stars and the planets and the what have you, but that's what it is. Verse uh, verse uh, verse uh, eight, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, we'll just stop there for a moment again. Uh, And so this garden that God has designed is a little bit different from perhaps what he had organized in the pre-Adamic creation. Uh, The pre-Adamic creation uh, were not particularly people who were associated with gardens or gardening or farming. They were people who were, we presume historically, were basically hunters and gatherers. And I'm not referring to the band. Uh, They were hunters and gatherers. And... uh, All of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 2, you get the beginnings of what we generally refer to as civilization. Uh, I don't know if you've ever sat and thought about that, but the definition of civilization is that it's where people stop and they live where they are and they build their food sources around them, as opposed to people who wander through forests and parkland, you know, parkland, forests and, uh, you you know, whatever it may be, woodlands and so forth, and catch what they can. Um, and so all of a sudden, Adam is formed to do this very job. In verse, uh, uh, and there's all sorts of trees and fruit and what have you. Uh, and the Lord God planted, uh, where was it? I'm trying to think where it said it. Every tree uh, which was good to the sight, uh, sorry, yes, that's right. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And uh, God has an appreciation for beauty as well as practicality. Uh, I don't know, you may not be quite like me, but I actually love, um, I mean, I'm not a gardener at all, but um, I love just going out and seeing the wildflowers. Uh, And of course, it's just coming up to wildflower season right now. And uh, just even driving down the freeway, uh, I just look at all the flowers and uh, whatever's in bloom at the moment, and I'm just absolutely taken by it. Uh, One of my kids went up uh, to... um, 
what is it, Alice Valley uh, Park the other day and was taking flowers of all the wild photos of all the wildflowers up there and putting them on our, on our WhatsApp. And I just absolutely love it. Every year, uh, Western Australia has nearly 14,000 different wildflowers. It's the most, um, what's that expression, biodiverse area in the world. World. Number one and number three in the world are in Western Australia. Number two is in Brazil, uh, according to the reports I've read. And uh, I just love going and looking at them. And uh, some of them are good to look at, and some of them are good for food. There's a combination out there, isn't there? I remember one brother said to me, well, God made, yeah, when I say brother, a fellow that came along, and he said uh, he smoked a lot of uh, wacky backy, and he said, well, God made all of this stuff. I said, yeah, but it doesn't, it says God made everything that was good to the eye and good for food. It doesn't say, and good to smoke. It just says what looks good and what eats good. Um, anyway, so that's what God decided. And I mean, whether it's perhaps, a, you know, I just wandered past the gum trees. I was just looking at some gum trees the other day. It's a wonder I don't, you know, drive my car off the road. But I was looking at some gum trees. It's just God's creation. It's just everywhere. Um, and it's just, to me, it's just an absolute joy to sort of look at. When I look around creation, I, I just think to myself, this is the signature of God. This is God putting his stamp on the world around about us. And I know there's an awful lot of people that don't believe in God, but there's a lot of people who don't go to church that believe in a creator. Australia currently has 75% of its population believe in some sort of a creator. Three quarters of the people in Australia even though they say less than 7% go to a church on a regular monthly basis, be that as it may. Anyway, back to the story here. So the second big thing that God does is he builds a garden and he sticks a guy in it. Uh, we're going to read a little further down in verse 15. Uh, and the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden, or you see in your margin there, Adam. The Lord God took the man, or Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Uh, the word dress here is the word for work or to till. To keep it means to uh, have charge over it, to guard it, to look after it. And so Adam's function when he first was formed was to be the guy looking after God's garden. What's the big deal? I mean, uh, does it not strike you as strange? We've got a whole chapter devoted to gardening in the first book of the Bible. It strikes me as strange. Until you start thinking about it for a little while, and what you discover is, God loves gardening. It's a strange thing to say. I mean, I don't personally. I like looking at the garden, but I'm not a particularly big gardener. I think Pastor Simon's a reasonable gardener, aren't you? No, you're not. No, he's rubbish. Uh, but, but there are some people. I mean, you go, you knock on their doors on a, on a, on a Saturday morning or Tuesday morning or something or other, and you just walk in and the, the garden is just immaculate. And you, you really feel a little bit, I, I feel a little bit intimidated by that. You know, the roses are out and the petunias and the begonias and the, you know, busy lizzies, whatever they are. And you kind of walk up to the front door there and you think, this person really put a lot of effort into their garden, didn't they? And it's very impressive. Uh, <clears throat> mine does all right. Uh, I do whatever Leslie tells me to do, but I do appreciate other people's garden. But God built a garden. And the sole reason that he did so, well, the sole reason that he, in that sense, that he had Adam was to actually look after his garden. That was it. It's just kind of weird. Um, chapter 3, across the page. 
Oh, sorry, verse, so I missed a bit. Chapter 1, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Which is a slightly different story, but we get the message. He was there to look after it. Chapter 3, across the page. The wheels, of course, fell off this very, very idyllic arrangement uh, in very short space. Chapter 3, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And we get this little message here that uh, we've moved away now from this idyllic garden where you just pluck mangoes off trees and plums and peaches and what have you, or maybe dig up you know, peanuts or something or other, to you're going to have to work for it now. And not only that, it's not just going to be mangoes and plums and lovely bananas, it's going to produce weeds and all sorts of rubbish that you don't really want. And it's a, it's a funny sort of a, a comparison just for a moment. We'll hold that there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 3. I will make some points in a moment. 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, down in verse 6, Paul the Apostle tells uh, the Corinthian church here, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, this is an expression we use quite commonly in our uh, preaching message, don't we? That someone plants the word, someone waters the word. Sometimes you go back again and water it again and again and again. But only God actually gives the increase. We know that from experience in a spiritual context. So then neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but God that giveth the increase. And so the, the blessing or the benefit of the process belongs to God. God is the one that designed it to work this way. Uh, verse 8, Now, he that planted and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labour. And there's a little hint there of our, our service and our, 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 our requirement for serving God according to our labour, your benefit. In verse 9, For we are labourers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Now the expression here, husbandry, is the uh, the Greek word georgion, it means farm or field. You're God's field. Now, husbandry does mean farming, I know that, modern English, or reasonably modern English, but uh, the word here definitely means a paddock or a field. He says, you, if you don't realise it, are God's paddock. That's what you are. God in the New Testament is also in the gardening business. And it's you and I who are the trees or the plants in the garden and all the people said. And as you look around this room now, you may think, well, yes, it's a group of people and we are all individuals, no question about that, but we're actually, according to Scripture, God's garden. Over to Mark chapter... Actually, before we go there, Isaiah 61. We'll make a point or two. Isaiah 61, little passage I know we've read before. On many occasions, Isaiah 61, verse 1, it's all about the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is what Jesus quoted in Luke 4. 
Uh, because the Lord God has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the meek, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. That's our ministry, now that we have the Holy Spirit. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And we see a little reference here to the fact that you and I are trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And I don't know if you ever thought about yourself in those terms, but, but you are a tree of righteousness. You're actually, uh, God has stuck you in his garden. He stuck you in his paddock. And uh, he's happy that you are in the paddock. Go across to Mark chapter 6 for a moment. Uh, verse 38. It's a very famous story. It's um, a feeding of the, the crowd. I think this, one, this one's the 5,000 from memory. Yes, I think it is. Uh, yes, verse 38. <clears throat> or verse, 30, uh, verse 37. And he answered and said to them, Give ye them to eat. And they say to him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, five and two fishes, five loaves and two fishes. And he commanded them to make them all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke uh, the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And uh, they did all eat and were filled. And this is, of course, a wonderful miracle of God's provision in our life today. We expect God to provide for us and to meet our needs. He says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. And we're very grateful for that. Um, but back in verse uh, 39, he commanded them to sit down by companies upon the grass or groups. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And the expression in, in ranks here, you know, I you know we often sort of say the Greek word for this and the Hebrew word for that, and sometimes it goes over a head. But this is actually worth remembering, this one. Uh, where it says they sat down in ranks, the expression actually means in garden beds. Garden beds. Uh, the literal, the original word, prasia, uh, it probably comes from the word onion. And so the idea was that if you have onions, you plant them out, and or leeks is another uh, similar sort of expression. And the idea was that you'd plant them out in sort of garden beds. And now he says, make them sit down in groups of, in, in garden beds of fifties and hundreds. And it's kind of like that today, isn't it? God saves us and he puts us in a, a garden bed of, of, of 20 or 50 or 100, whatever it happens to be. And he says, you, now the process is you're going to be fed by God's word. You're going to be fed by him. Uh, because he's doing a bit of gardening. Over to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. There's a lot we can read here, but I'm just going to be careful. Verse 9, uh, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ. Uh, so uh, an encouragement to persevere, and to walk in the Lord, and to maintain the, 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 the approach that you have. Uh, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. We read a moment ago where 
trees of righteousness. We're in a garden bed. The whole story of Adam and the garden, the very second story in the whole Bible, uh, is actually all about Jesus Christ supervising us in the garden bed of God. That's what it's all about. He was set there to tend and to keep the garden. Uh, every tree which is good to sight and good for food and so forth. And now in the New Testament we read, well, not only we're trees of righteousness, but we're told here now we're bringing forth being filled with the fruits of righteousness. We're actually producing fruits of righteousness. And a good example of this is just to read through the book of Philippians. I'll give you a couple of quick ones if you like. Uh, for example, verse 5, for your fellowship, in the gospel from the first day till now. Your fellowship together with other brothers and sisters is a fruit of the fact that you are filled with the Holy Ghost and made righteous. Fellowship. Uh, a little further down again, verse 26, same chapter, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Your rejoicing is also your fruit. We're told in the scriptures to rejoice, and again I say rejoice. We uh, rejoice, you know the old scripture, rejoice, rejoice, we've got no other choice. You know that scripture? Hezekiah chapter 3. Uh, rejoice, rejoice, there's no other choice. The Bible teaches us, of course, that in whatever situation I am, I've learned to be content. He says rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice always, uh, and so on and so on. So rejoicing is also a fruit of righteousness. A little further down, and again, I'm just quickly picking a couple of verses. Verse 27. And let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one mind, with one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, here we see a part of our fruit is your conversation, your conduct, how you live. Before you got saved, you were uh, producing fruits of unrighteousness. You know, you perhaps went off uh, drinking or perhaps uh, doing drugs or swearing or cursing, blaspheming, perhaps lying or cheating or committing immorality, whatever it happened to be. They're all fruits of sin. And now we see here, no, no, there's, we're new fruits now. It's the fruits of righteousness, your new conversation. He tells us this conversation in verse 27 uh, is one which involves us standing, to stand in the Lord is part of your fruit with one mind, striving together to work together in harmony for the gospel message is part of your fruit. Uh, just across the page, and I'm not going to go through all of these, but chapter 2, verse 1, if there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, uh, we're, we're given here a list of things which are associated with being uh, generous in our attitude. Uh, loving and kind and uh, forgiving, compassionate. All of those are now fruits on the trees of righteousness. And all the people said, when you deal with someone and you're no longer perhaps judgmental and critical and difficult to get along with and so on, when you're uh, cooperative and kind and what have you, this is all part of the fruit of the new creation which you now are. And Jesus just loves tending this garden. He loves it. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing. As I say, it's the very second act in the Bible to see that. Verse 2, fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Uh, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. You just feel a love for the brethren. You just want to help them. You just want to uh, be with them. You just want to talk to them and encourage them and make sure they meet the Lord in the air. All the people said, 
Uh, we're one-minded. We, we, we have a single focus. We're not divided anymore. Perhaps when you're an Anglican or a Baptist or something or other, uh, look, there are hundred, if there are a hundred people in the church that you used to go to, there are probably a hundred different ideas of what, what it was to be a Christian. But now we're single-minded, like-minded is the expression he uses here. Uh, how am I going? I'm just wondering how far I need to go here. But, well, verse 12, perhaps. Verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, part of our new fruit of righteousness is obedience. It's actually working in with what God tells us to do. Uh, he says, do all things, in verse uh, 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Uh, you know, we're, we've changed. You know, before we got saved, maybe we argued with every boss we ever worked with. Maybe we were just difficult to get along with. And he says, now do everything without murmuring and disputing. Murmuring means, of course, complaining. Now we do everything without complaining. We just get on with the job. We're going to meet the Lord there. It just doesn't matter. Uh, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation amongst whom you shine as lights in this world. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. We spoke about rejoicing. I'm not going to go there again. Verse 17. Uh, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you've seen us walk for an example. Uh, down to verse 21. Who shall change our vile bodies that it may be fashioned again like unto his glorious body. Yes, that's one of the fruits. Chapter 4, verse 2. I beseech you, Odious and Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Part of your new fruit is getting on with people. These t- that Odious and Syntyche are ladies' names back in those days. They're ladies' names. Two ladies in the Philipp- Philippian assembly were just obviously arguing, and he says, I'm appealing to you both. Don't argue anymore. Just work it out together. Uh, same chapter, perhaps verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Uh, verse 15. Uh, now you Philippians know also in the beginning when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only, even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my necessity. Uh, our, our, our giving and receiving is also part of the same fruit of righteousness. Over to uh, John chapter 15, uh, verse 1. I'm the vine and my father is the husbandman. And when you look back on it, Think for a moment about how many parables you know that Jesus explained, which are based on, uh, you know, agricultural principles. You know, the sower and the seed. You know, the fig tree, the uh, uh, the seed which grows overnight, and so on. There's a whole bunch of them. The tree which grows up, the uh, mustard seed which grows from a great tree, which all the birds of the air come. I mean, there's there's just lots and lots of them, and they all speak to the same theme of God loves gardening. It's part of the principle. Uh, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Husbandman means farmer, of course. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. Now, we spoke about the fruit of righteousness. And now he says, but if you don't bring forth fruit, then you'll be taken away. If we revert to what we were before, if we just become like old unsaved people, then he says, you'll be taken away. You know, uh, uh, you've got to produce some fruit. Verse 2. But every branch in me that bears not fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he purges it, or prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. 
And it's funny, isn't it? Because it, it seems counterintuitive. Again, I'm not a gardener. Although, having said that, I have just done my passion fruit vine. And I can tell you, if you don't get it right, it's a mess. Who's ever pruned their passion fruit vine too late? I did last year, really late. End of September, beginning of October, I got, I think, five passion fruit. It was hardly worth doing. It was so disappointing. I was heartbroken. Um, and I discovered if you do it after it's kind of gone like that, that you don't get any fruit. You've got to, you, you can't do it with that. Does that make sense? What's the expression? Is there an expression for that? You know, when, when it go, when a little goes goosh like that or sprouts out, if you start to prune then, when the buds shoot, let me tell you, you will get no fruit. It's an old saying in the Bible. When the buds shoot, don't prune because you'll get no fruit. Now, Jesus says here there's a pruning. I used to be pretty good at pruning my grapevine. I'd gotten that down to a fine art. You know, every July or August, I'd get out there, have a look at the weather, check it out, see what's going on. Uh, and, you know, get into it. And, uh, uh, it's, as I say, it's counterintuitive that you go and just seemingly destroy a plant because you want to get more fruit off it. It is, isn't it? But that's exactly what happens. Uh, the old saying, I had a friend at the place I used to work with who was actually a viticulturalist, I think the expression is. And, um, he, he was a specialist in, in vines and what have you. And he just said, he said, it's a fruit out of new, out of old. And he explained the system. Who knows what I'm talking about? Two of you. Okay. Fruit out of new, out of old. And, um, and he explained it all. And he pointed out what to do. It's on. I did it exactly. And I just got tons of grapes. I could have started a grape juice factory at one stage there in my backyard. It was amazing. And just look, the rats lived off that for months. It was just uh, incredible. We have to go out there and fight them for it. And uh, it is strange, but that's how God works. He trims up stuff that's not working in our life because he wants fruits of righteousness. That's how he's planning it. Every branch of me that bears not fruit he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit he purges it or prunes it so that it may bring forth more fruit. We all need a bit of pruning from time to time, don't we? We all need the Lord to come along and say, right, you don't need this in your life. That's no good for you. And you feel snip and you know that something's gone. And God cuts things off your life because he wants fruit, fruit, fruit. He loves gardening. That's my message here. Now, you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. It's just astonishing how many people decide they're going to leave the Lord and I'm still going to be a really good Christian after I've left the fellowship. Good luck with that. That goes totally counter to what Jesus just said here. He said he's the vine, we're the branches, and he comes along and does the pruning. He said you cannot bear fruit if you are cut off the main vine. It doesn't make any sense. I think I might have told you the funny story years ago. I thought I'd gotten a really good present for Leslie one year. It was Mother's Day or something. There was a, a sale at the local school, a fate. And I went down and these two little kids were selling all of these beautiful looking plants in, in pots and what have you. And I thought, this is so cheap. They're like two bucks or something, right? whatever they were. I mean, sorry, that sounds like I'm a really mean sort of a present buyer for my wife, doesn't it? I think they're about $3. <laughs> the price just went up. Anyway, really, really cheap. I thought, I'll get one. I said, what are they? And they told me what they were. And so I bought one. I brought it home. And over the next four days, it slowly withered and died. I thought, what's gone wrong here? 
and I sort of jiggled it a little bit to see what the problem was, and I pulled it out. It had no roots at all. The kids had simply cut off a branch off some sort of a plant and jammed it in a pot to catch foolish buyers unawares. Um, I mean, I reported them to the police. Uh, <laughs> I was after my two bucks back. Um, three, sorry, three. And, of course, you can't bring forth fruit if you're severed from the vine. It just doesn't work. You know, you've got to be attached to the whole system that makes it all work, right down to the roots that go into the ground that supply the nutrients for this fruit production process because Jesus wants more fruit. Abide in me and I in you. Stay in me. In verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Jesus is looking forward to lots of fruit. He's looking forward to making, you know, seeing all sorts of good fruit come out of our life, fruit of righteousness. Uh, for without me you can do nothing. Severed from me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and withered, and men gather them and they cast them into the fire and they're burned. And this is a, a little illustration of what happens at the end of the age. There'll be a whole bunch of people who used to be on the vine, used to be on the branch, and uh, they just got, uh, you know, they, they severed themselves from it and eventually men gather them. They become part of this church or that church or this church or that church, whatever it may be. Men gather them for the end, big burning day. Very, very tragic, isn't it? If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. And the good thing is, not only are we producing fruit that way, but we're also drawing nutrient this way. We're drawing the benefit of being in the Lord. And this is what he's saying. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then he says, you'll ask what you will, and it'll be done unto you. This is one of the great benefits of being filled with God's Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Uh, look, we need to give another example, perhaps, uh, before we run out of time. I see we're going to run out of time here. Uh, Luke 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'm going to use another gardening illustration that Jesus gave us. You are God's husbandry farm. Luke 13. Uh, verse 6, it's a funny little one. And he spoke also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. So we're still in the vineyard, but now it's a fig tree in the vineyard. And he came and he sought fruit thereon, and he found none. Uh, again, same principle. Looking to see change of life, fruits of righteousness. And then he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? You know, there's why is it um, cluttering up the farm or the ground? And he answering said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And this seems a bit of a harsh story because it's talking about Christians. And what it's saying is that the Lord comes along and he checks from time to time, you're producing fruit. Are there fruits of righteousness? Now, the Old Testament gives this wonderful illustration of planting trees in the new land. And it tells us that uh, because the trees are inconsistent at the beginning, it says you don't gather fruit for three years. And the fourth year you may gather some, but in the fifth year it will be holiness to the Lord. 
The idea behind that, of course, is we grow line upon line. People get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. It takes a while to, you know, to lose all of the old rubbish from the old life, doesn't it? And often it takes a little while to start producing fruit. But even when they produce fruit, it's often inconsistent. You know, it's like when you put in an apple tree or something or other, and uh, you know, the first year you might get an apple that big one side of the tree and an apple that big the other side of the tree. Uh, but as it, the tree settles in over the years, it becomes more consistent. And that's what the Lord's saying about us as Christians. But this particular case here, it says, He came to the tree three years in a row. There was no fruit at all. And he says to the vine dresser, cut the tree down. Verse 8, And he answering said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig it about and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Uh, the idea behind that being sometimes someone can be spirit-filled and they are just a headache year after year after year after year after year after year. And in that sense, encumbering the ground. You know, we've got to be producing something, not just absorbing. Uh, he says here, the farmer says, I'm going to uh, dig it about and I'm going to dung it. What a quaint expression. I'm going to dung it. Uh, you know, I can't remember the last time I used that in an after-dinner conversation. But the point, of course, being he needed to fertilise it. He needed to sort of um, dig it about. I'm not even sure why. Why would you dig it about? Okay. Uh, look, the explanation is far too technical. I won't try and relate it to you. But you do do a bit of that sort of stuff and you put fertiliser in, clearly. But I want you to think for a moment. When you fertilise something, you think about it. I mean, I'm, I, I, I mean, I've used all sorts of different stuff. Leslie will sometimes go down and she'll buy a bag of sheep manure or she'll buy cow manure. Think for a moment what I'm saying. Or there'll be chook manure. Occasionally she gets some blood and bone. Our favourite at the moment is pig's manure. Oh, it's fantastic. Truly. Yeah, you just sort of rub it here and you get a, you know, with a beard the next day. It's amazing stuff. Now, it is just a strange thing. Don't you think it's a strange thing that God decided that the fertilizer that's the best type of stuff is manure? And I guess what I want to just draw from that is that it's, it's quite unpleasant. I, mean, I think of blood and bone in particular. I hate dealing with blood and bone. It stinks to high heaven. And, uh, and sometimes Leslie comes in with it all over her hands and everything, and it's just awful. Now, my point is this, that to, to fertilize your walk in the Lord is sometimes a bit of a pain in the neck. And sometimes it's a bit tricky and sometimes it's going to be messy and awful and it's going to create a bit of an upset in your life. It's usually involved things like praying, getting to more meetings, going evangelizing, things that are pretty messy, if you know what I'm trying to say here. Uh, it's easy to go without all those sort of things, but the tree won't do much good. You've got to actually fertilize it with all the good things that are actually a bit messy sometimes. I think about some of those things there and. You know, not everybody's a big fan of evangelism. Not everybody's a big fan of praying. Uh, and again, I say again, <laughs> I had someone just this last week suddenly when they left the fellowship, they said, I said, are you praying? Oh, yeah, every day in the car on the way to work. Um, if I had a dollar for everybody that said that to me over the years, I'd have a pocket full of dollars. It's praying at home next to your bed or at your kitchen table. That's the one that really kind of uh, makes the connection. Don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with praying in your car on the way to work. That's fine. 
But the one that really makes the connection, that really puts the roots down deep is when you have to actually put, go to a bit of trouble and take some time out, turn off the TV or whatever it may be and spend a little bit of time praying. All the people said. Fertilize your walk in the Lord. Bit of a pain in the neck. Sometimes, you know, you're going to stink, but it works. Uh, and eventually it says, of course, if it bear fruit, well, if not, then after that you can cut it down. Look, uh, one last illustration, perhaps, uh, Matthew 13, just for a moment. I think we all know this one. It's the story of this sower and the seed. Oh, I've got to be quick. Come on. Matthew chapter 13. Now, there's three categories within this story which are that lead to trouble. Uh, the one that's sown by the wayside, the one that's sown among the rocks, and the one that's sown amongst the thorns. Now, we read about thorns back in Genesis chapter 3 there, about how from now on it's going to be with thorns. Uh, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and there was a mixture in their life of mango trees and thorns and weeds. And uh, down in this story here, we know how it works, but I'll just quickly take you to it. Uh, in verse... Uh, verse 18, hear therefore the parable of the sower. Again, I'll just take you down a little bit. Verse 22, he also that received the seed amongst the thorns is he that hears the word and the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Uh, Mark's gospel talks about how the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Unprofitable, and uh, we are in the age of thorns. Unfortunately, we no longer live in the idyllic Garden of Eden setting that God originally envisioned. We're in the age of dramas and issues and problems. We're in the age of uh, worldliness and temptation and all that sort of stuff. And what Jesus is reminding us is, as you grow in the Lord, you're going to have weeds in your life the whole way through. You just got to keep pulling them out. That's how it works. Uh, and, you know, uh, sometimes it's hard work, sometimes it's easy work. You get that little onion weed in your garden, you know all about it, you'll be pulling it out for the next 20 years. Some are easy. You get a dandelion or something around it, it's just, or out comes. Easy peasy. We had Pastor Paul Noble and Sister Kathy staying with us uh, last week. They were with us for about a week or so, and uh, Kathy's a gardener. She got out in the garden there, she'd fill two crates full of weeds out of my garden in, in like, you know, a day and a half. It was, it was really good to see it. Leslie said, you want to come and tea? I said, don't stop her, for goodness sake. <laughs> Let it go. She loves it. Let it go. Well, she enjoys doing it. Let her do what she enjoys doing. And uh, it does strike me that uh, in our walk in the Lord, they can choke us. You've got to keep pulling them out. And maybe right till the very harvest, you'll be still pulling out weeds. Maybe right up to the very harvest, you'll still be saying, this is a pain in the neck in my walk in the Lord. Get rid of this one. Have a bit of prayer about this one. Better get rid of this one. Have a bit of prayer about that one. Get rid of that one. Right up to the Lord coming back because that's the age in which we live. Over to um, uh, look, I love this one. Over to well, Galatians 6, very, very famous one. Galatians chapter 6. And there's a lot of other passages here, but as I say, we are trees of righteousness. We are in the garden bed that God's created here. And uh, he's designed it this way. And he's looking for us to bring forth fruit. Go through the pruning from time to time. In Galatians chapter, don't get me wrong, you don't go through pruning all the time. You only prune once a year, don't you? Uh, but Galatians chapter 6 here, verse 7. 
Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And I, I do love that. What he's reminding us, of course, is sow to the Spirit. Invest in the Holy Ghost experiences. Praying and meetings, reading your scriptures, evangelizing, uh, you know, whatever, the, whatever those good things are. Invest in those because they'll bring a wonderful result. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Verse 9. And let us not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I love that because sometimes it's easy to get to the point where you decide, well, I, this is exhausting. I don't think I can cope with this much more. You know, going to church and praying and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, resisting temptation, one thing and another. And the Lord says, here, he encourages. He says, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't become tired in doing the right thing. Romans says, by continuance, it says uh, in, in good works, it says we're going to eventually inherit life, everlasting life, glory, and immortality. By patient continuance in good works. That's, our, that's the principle. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. All the people say, Amen. Thank you for that.